Well, good morning. This morning I want to share a little bit on how to overcome failure. There are two types of, generally, types of preaching. There's expository preaching and then there's topical preaching. I generally go for the expository where you read a scripture and you open up that scripture and you give it to the folk and they just understand God's word. Uh, but today I want to do more of a topical approach and talk about uh, just overcoming failure. Uh, so let me start by asking how many of you have failed somewhere along the way in your life? Okay. Uh, today? <laughs> Yesterday. Okay, today's a good day still. <laughs> All right. I've, I've offered... Wondered whether, yeah, some people have got two hands up here. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm waving, I'm waving. I've often wondered whether stupidity was a spiritual gift of mine. Uh, failed many, many times, just many, many times. Um, and uh, been disappointed. Uh, I just made some very, very stupid decisions uh, along the way. I was incredibly disappointed because of not being able to uh, get into the United States uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, I was applying for a, a job over there. Both my brother and sister are living, were living in the States. My sister now has moved to Portugal uh, and is retired. But um, wanted to get to the States and just couldn't get in, couldn't get in. And eventually I discovered that the reason why was I didn't have a master's degree. I need a master's degree. Uh, I only had a bachelor's and a diploma, and uh, was disappointed about that. But let me tell you, it turned out to be so well, so good, because uh, joined Josh Chen, moved out of the Presbyterian Church, and just, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago, church is just so important, because your church is the, the church that you decide. It's not so much what you are born again out of, but what you are born again into that matters because this affects your eternity. This affects how you grow and mature and to be with the Lord. So just the last 12 years of approaching Josh Jen, being a part of Josh Jen has just been the most phenomenal experience. And if I'd got into the States, I wouldn't have had any of this. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just so, so grateful. But one of the things that I want to share with you is that failure is more common than success. Poverty is more prevalent than wealth. Disappointment is more normal than achievement. Let's look at some biblical characters. Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, she, she you know, most of what you got in life was just looking after your family and looking after your children. And she was barren. She couldn't have children. Uh, and she was pretty mean to Hagar. Uh, and especially when Hagar, after sleeping with Abraham, uh, bore a child, Ishmael, she just became so, so bitter towards Hagar that Hagar eventually ran off into the uh, wilderness. And uh, when God eventually approached Abraham and said, you're going to have a child, Sarah, at the age of 90, uh, she, she heard God speaking to Abraham and she laughed. You know, so surely the creator of the universe must know that when a woman gets to a certain age that she's beyond childbearing, and she laughed. And so they named their child Isaac, which means laughter, to remind her of that time that she laughed at what God was promising and giving to them. And the, the interesting thing here is, is, is that 
Years later, when the New Testament was being written in Hebrews chapter 11, she is listed in the hall of fame of faith. Peter, in one of his epistles, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, uh, says, this is the way. Look at Abraham. This is how wives should relate to their husbands in honor and obedience. How about the guy named Samson? Hmm, did he have a problem with women? Big, big problem. Couldn't get those relationships right. So he chose a woman against his advice of his parents, which ultimately led to many wrong decisions, which led to her death and her father's death as well. And it just caused so much tension between the Philistines. And then he eventually had a relationship with a harlot named Delilah. And the Philistines tried to persuade Delilah to get the information from Samson, why he was so strong and what uh, caused him to have such great strength. It's interesting to know that Samson wasn't a Mr. Universe kind of guy. He was just probably an ordinary guy, uh, thin, but he had just phenomenal strength. If, if, uh, if he was built like Mr. Universe, uh, he probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have asked where he got his strength from because they would have seen it in his muscles. So eventually Delilah persuaded uh, Samson to reveal the truth, and he revealed the truth, uh, and they cut off his hair and put him in chains and gouged his eyes out. But it's interesting to see that in his death, he killed more people than he had in his entire life. It's kind of a, a Josh Jen logo, dying to live. In his death, he killed. It had more effect, more success than he had in his entire life. Are you dying, guys? Are you dying? So, But was a champion in his time. Despite his failures, God used him in terms of judging, helping judge the nation of Israel. David, oh, man after God's own heart. But... What a terrible father. Just terrible. Terrible. He couldn't discipline his kids. And Amnon, one of his sons, eventually raped Tamar, his half-sister. Absalom, another son, was so angry towards Amnon that he killed him. And then eventually led a revolt against David. Absalom was finally killed by uh, the general. It really, really freaked David out. He sobbed bitterly, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom. And we, we, we see a little bit further that David is at home and he's looking out and he sees a woman bathing and uh, commits adultery with her. And then to cover up that sin, because she was now pregnant, he arranged for her husband, Uriah, to go into battle and to get pulled back and he was left and killed. In actual fact, it was planning his own murder. But David stands as one of the great, great men of God, a man after God's own heart, wanting and ready to honor God and to seek his glory. Let's look at Peter. Peter, who denies Jesus three times. Um, Fascinating thing. I'll finish off with a story about Peter. Uh, towards the end, but but Peter really disappointed the Lord, and we read, and I'm so grateful to the scriptures because we read the Bible, and it's such truth, it's such reality, there's, there's, there's no 
cloaking anything that takes place in the Bible. We see people as they are. A little bit later, Peter is rebuked by Paul because of showing prejudice and false standards in dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles. And he had to be rebuked and rebuked publicly. But that was Peter. We all fail. If you're going to achieve anything in life, you have to pass through the land of failure. Between any achievement and where you are, the realization of your dreams and the initiation of your, of your dreams, you have to experience some form of failure. Rob Parsons says tomorrow belongs to the failures. Washington Irving said this, great minds have purposes, others have wishes. Little minds are subdued by misfortunes, but great minds rise above them. So what is the difference? What is the single ingredient that we've got in life that determines our success or our achievement, our achievement and our growth in the Lord and not? What, what is that single ingredient? Is it coming from a good family background? Hey, it's great to have a family background. It's wonderful when parents stay married and they love each other right until the end. But that doesn't always happen. A good family background is not necessarily a, a reliable indicator to achievement. How about wealth? To have wealth. It's such a springboard, such an opening into different avenues. Well, some of the greatest achievers come from below average means. Wealth is no indicator. Some people who have inherited huge wealth just sit at home and they squander the money. How about high morals? Some people who have integrity achieve very little. And we know that there are scoundrels around who are high producers. How about the absence of hardship? Hmm. I don't, you know, to try and avoid hardship, hardship sometimes is a great refiner. And we look at people like Helen Keller who ex experienced extreme disappointments and Viktor Frankl who had to endure unbelievable persecution and horrors in a Nazi concentration camp. But I think the one determining factor here is whether people go from average to success and achievement is our perception and our response to failure. That is the thing that we need to be looking at. With all the stuff that's happening, with suicides increasing, alcoholism increasing, nervous breakdown, severe depression, is evidence that too many people are focused on success. We're, we're concentrating on the wrong thing. You've heard motivational speakers. They stand up and they ask this question. If the possibility of failure were erased from your life, what would you attempt to achieve? That's a great question because it starts to think, okay, I don't have to deal with failure. I'm going to think about some achievement and some success. But it's a bad question. It's a wrong question. Because how can you experience anything in life without failure? It's a bad question because it takes the person's thinking away down the wrong track. 
There is no achievement without failure. A better question is, if your perception and your response to failure were changed, what would you attempt to achieve? Failures are coming. Every single day. That's why I asked right at the beginning. Anybody failed? Today? Yesterday <laughs> was the response. How are we going to deal with failure? Let me, let me ask that question. I think that we should think of failure not as a foe, not as an enemy, but as a friend. As a friend. We need to treat it as a friend because we need to realize that we shouldn't take our mistakes seriously so that we are filled with uh, guilt and anxiety, but rather we should treat them as friends. They're going to teach us. I remember the very first leadership meeting in my first church. I was 26 years of age. Just come back from, uh, well, I, I, I'd been in a, as assistant for two years, and I'd been in the United States for a while, and I'd come back and started in this new church, and we decided, right, right from the very beginning, we're going to move towards renewal, and one of the seven guys voted against me. I phoned my dad. I said, Dad, this is terrible. One person voted against me. I was really hoping for a 100% response. One person, sh shall I resign? And my dad just laughed. You know, He had been in ministry for 28 years. He said, that's probably the best response and the best vote that you'll ever achieve. Because one person was voting against me. I, I remember making a terrible mistake. <coughs> there was one particular lady, as we moved towards renewal, I decided to put up a screen. You know, in the Presbyterian church, that was a bit of a challenge. A screen and an overhead projector. We still had overhead projectors uh, back then. And she said, she said, I'm not coming to church anymore. She put a screen up. I said, why? This helps with the worship. You don't have to put your heads down and look at a hymn book or a song book. You, you look it up and you can sing at the top of your voice. I, I don't like the screen. Why? Because it detracts from the cross. I, went, I was so cross, I shouted. I mean, this 26-year-old shouting at a 70-year-old woman, that's not cool. That's not good, eh? That's just somewhere rude. But I was so angry with just her bad attitude and her bad stance in terms of us moving towards renewal that I shouted at her. Bad. You know, now I'm on the other end, closer to the 70 mark at 63. I'm thinking, if a 26-year-old, I might muster up enough strength to knock him out. But I mean, <laughs> but we all got mistakes. We all have mistakes. I remember. One of the guys that I studied at university with, we got together for meetings and general assemblies and stuff, and he said, no, this is happening at our church, but I really am not enjoying it because I've, my church is filled with digglings. Church is filled with digglings? I mean, that's not cool to say that your members are digglings. So then I heard that he was going to another church, and you know, we chatted to him a little bit later, and you know, the, that church is also full of digglings. And I thought, the diggling around here is you, pal. You, you, you're the guy. <laughs> there was a, a famous comedian whose name was uh, Jimmy Durante. He, he was an American, and he had an enormous nose. I, I don't think I've seen anybody that had a nose like him. I mean, it was somewhere a beak, 
in front of you. <laughs> but he made a joke out of it. And he says, he, he, was, he was Jewish and he, he, he referred to it as a schnozzle. So he, he says, you know, I don't mind my schnozzle because all of us have got schnozzles. We might have schnozzles on the front of our face, but if it's not on the front of our face, it's somewhere else. It's in our mind or in our habits. We've all got schnozzles. Where's your schnozzle? <laughs> so we need to make friends with this thing called failure. Some of the great, great successful people in life have had failure. Wolfgang Mozart. Occasionally I listen to classical music. I'm feeling very mellow. But Mozart was severely criticized by Emperor Ferdinand because in one of his operas, his notes were far too noisy and far too many notes. Vincent van Gogh, a great painter, he only sold one painting in his entire life. But his paintings today are phenomenal. His most recent painting that was sold, Laborer in a Field, was painted in 1887. It was sold in 2017 for 81 million rand in New York. How about Thomason Edison, one of the most prolific inventors in history, was considered unteachable as a youngster. Albert Einstein, the greatest thinker in the last 100, 150 years, was told by a Munich schoolmaster that he would never amount to much. Michael Johnson, Ma Michael Jordan, probably one of the great sportsmen, one of the greatest sportsmen in the world, probably the greatest basketball player of all time, said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Some of the greatest achievers have been given multiple reasons to believe that they are failures, but they persevere, and in spite of those failures, they go on to be a success. And failure is not final. It's a moment in time. It's a moment in time. Let me use an illustration of a Coca-Cola company. In the 60s and 70s, Coca-Cola, world, world's best drink, it's the real thing. You remember that? It's the real thing. So there was a CEO, Sergio Zeman, who decided, because Coca-Cola was starting to lose ground in the 80s to Pepsi, Coca-Cola needed to change the product. And so he brought in Diet Coke. And that was a success. Then he decided to bring in the new Coke. The competitors had a field time. Didn't Coca-Cola always say they said it was the real thing? 
and now they want to change the formula. Well, it was a total disaster. 79 days of total disaster. The Coca-Cola company lost over $100 million because of New Coke. He resigned. But as a result of that, they remarketed and brought back the classic Coke. And it became a huge success. They gained a huge amount of ground. And a few years later, in 1993, the chairman once again re-employed Zaman. Because now Coke had regained its ground. And they asked, was he a failure? And he said, judge the results. We get paid to produce the results. We don't get paid to be right. Let me tell you a little bit about my own experience. When I was uh, minister, pastor in Edgemead, we had a little church there for four years. We secured the last piece of land in Edgemead and uh, managed to start building the first phase of the building. But because we were progressing so fast and we weren't growing as fast, we ran out of money. I had started another church in Durbanville in the Protea Valley area, which was above Tiger Valley, and started to move there. We had to sell that church to a guy called Will Murray, who was here a couple of weeks ago. He was part of a kingdom faith. He wasn't part of Josh Jean yet. He was part of kingdom faith. So we sold the church. And for me, that was just a terrible failure. That I had planted a church, and now we had to sell it. Although I was in Protea Valley and planted there, and that church just exploded. I mean, I've never known out of the six churches that I have planted and the two others that we helped assist with Woodlands Bay and Gribo, I've never had that kind of growth that took place in the Protea Valley area. But just the terrible failure of having to sell a church because we didn't have money. The interesting thing is, Will Maria came into Josh Jean. I saw that, chatted to him, and he was instrumental in pulling me into Josh Jean. I'll visit Edgemead often. We go there often. And it's part of Josh Jean. We're a part of Josh Jean as well. It's amazing how God, but maybe he just used me to secure that land because it was about to be rezoned and sold off into residential land. But I thank God that as a result of that, there was a guy that we helped and assisted uh, with food vouchers in, in the congregation for years because he was struggling in his business. But he persevered and he persisted. He kept coming back moved to a different congregation. Now, he's, the business he's in is exploding. And he said to me the other day, the profit that we made last year, was the profit was over one and a half million rand. But a few years ago, we were assisting him with food vouchers because he couldn't feed his family. You see, we need to see Failure as a friend. Never allow failure to get into your heart. You've of, of maybe obviously seen, <laughs> maybe obviously <laughs> but on the other ends of the spectrum, the, the, the movie Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. A la vista. I'll be back. 
the first one, I mean, he, he comes as a Terminator, and at the end of the movie, he's shot up half of his face, is blown away, his eyeball is hanging out there. If you had to take a frozen picture of the Terminator at that moment, it's a failure. But it's a movie, and that's only one frame. But if you continue the movie, he comes back. I mean, you know, his saying was, I'll be back, is true. He came back and he beat the other Terminator and he was a success. Your life is not a freeze frame. So don't focus just on that particular failure. You can move on from there. And what are we going to learn from this situation? You know, so often we, we, we don't learn anything. There was a, an experiment by two business professors, Gary Hamill and C.K. Prahagrad. And they did an experiment with some monkeys. They put some monkeys in a cage and they had a pole right in the middle and they suspended some bananas on top of that. And the monkeys got hungry and they saw the bananas and so they started to climb the pole. And as they climbed the pole, they had a huge hose that sprayed quite strongly uh, on the monkey that was climbing up the pole. And he scampered down and refused to go back up. All the monkeys, one by one, decided to do this. They climbed up the thing, torrent of cold, ice-cold water, they scampered down. And then they removed one of the monkeys that was there that had tried, and they brought another monkey in. Another monkey saw what was happening. He saw the bananas that's food up at the top there. He started. The other three monkeys held him back. He didn't even experience a spurt of cold torrent water. And one by one, they removed the old monkeys and they brought in the new monkeys. And each time, pulled him back. They didn't know why. But they were pulling these monkeys back. And I mean, failure sometimes does that to us. You know, we don't even know why we, we, we're doing this. You know, there's that old saying that says, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got from. Why are you not succeeding? Why are you not pushing forward? Why are you not continuing to move forward in the Lord? A number of years ago, the founder of IBM, Tom Watson, had a young executive who decided to go off and to venture some uh, in, in, into some area, and he caused the company to lose $12 million. It was a failure. So the executive came into Tom Watson's office and said, Look, here's my resignation. Uh, I want to, and Tom Watson said, I'm not accepting your resignation. We've just spent $12 million on your education. Get back to work. You know, we need to see stuff as education. Another area that we shouldn't do in terms of failure is we shouldn't make excuses. You know, after the Holy Spirit morning, Medler returned home and she reversed uh, her car into a little parking place in front of our house and reversed too far and hit the wall. And the light broke and there's a bit of a dent in her thing and so we had to submit a report to the insurance company. So I read you know, some, some of the ridiculous 
statements people make <laughs> in their insurance forms that they fill in about their accidents. I'm going to read some of them. And some of them are really funny here. So one guy says, the pole, the telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path and it struck my front end. A pole struck his front end. Hello. The direct cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> One guy says, I've been driving my car for four years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. I was on my way to the doctors with rear end trouble when a universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. What kind of accident did you have? <laughs> to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front, I struck a pedestrian. I, mean, <laughs> I was coming home, pulled into the wrong driveway and hit a tree I didn't have. <laughs> The pedestrian had no idea which direction to run, so I ran over him. <laughs> I can imagine that the, that the pedestrian. Uh, <laughs> the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before hitting him. <laughs> and this is my best. I pulled over to the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed down the embankment. <laughs> Mother-in-laws have that op uh, obviously have that influence. <laughs> Don't make excuses. Own up. If you've had a failure, say I was wrong. Admit it. Accept responsibility. And move forward. Come on, move on. Peter Drucker said, the better a man is, the more mistakes he will make. For the more new things he will try. I will never promote to a top-level job a man who is not making mistakes. Otherwise, he is sure to be mediocre. What is your response going to be to failure? To misfortune? To disappointment. I think at all times we need to have a positive outlook. I love the story that is told about a young woman who married a U.S. serviceman. After the Second World War, he moved to a place in the California desert to a, uh, an army place, and she was stuck. She was from the East Coast. It's lovely and lush and green, and now she's in the desert. Just down the road, there were some Indians, Native uh, Americans, and uh, they didn't even know how to speak English. And she wrote to her mother and said, this is just terrible. It's as hot as anything. It's dry. It's sandy. Uh, don't have many friends. And her mom sent back two lines in a letter. And this is what it said. Two men stood behind prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw star. What is your outlook in life? How we respond 
is the most important thing. When you have failure, how are you going to look at it? How are you going to see it? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says that we need to make a choice. We no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to think. Think positively. Think victoriously, because I really believe that that's God's desire for each one of us. You know, there is that saying, you need to fake it until you make it. I want to say, like John Wesley said, you need to faith it until you make it. And faith is filled with positivity. It's filled with the things that God can possibly do in and through our lives. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 10, let's have that up, uh, Adrian. You don't have that one? Okay, sorry. It says, a person will reap exactly what he sows. If he sows in the field of his natural desires, from it he will gather the harvest of death. If he sows in the field of the Spirit, the Spirit, from the Spirit he will gather the harvest of eternal life. You see, it says here, a person will reap exactly what he sows. What are you sowing? What are, you, what, are, what are the seeds that you're putting into the ground? The seeds will always produce a harvest. Cabbage will still give forth cabbage. Apples will still produce apples. You need to check what you're planting. This law is as old as the hills. This law has no loophole in it. It will always produce what you're putting into the ground. There's a guy, Jack Canfield, who wrote a book. And in the book he wrote about responding positively, not reacting negatively, responding positively to situations. And he had this equation. E, just follow me now, E plus R equals O. The event plus the response equals the outcome. The event is cast in concrete. It's happened to you. You can't change that. Two plus two equals four. But I want the outcome to be five. You can't change the E. For me to have an outcome that is five, our response is the thing that we need to change. What is your response to situations? Jesus speaks about this. He says to his followers in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If somebody takes your cloak, don't stop there. Give them your tunic. What was Paul's response when he had to endure weeks, months in jail? Back then, I think jails must have been a terrible place. But you see, coming out of those experiences, Paul wrote, and we have even seen today that he inspires millions of people, even today, by, by his writing. And in his darkest night, in his most desperate circumstances, he responds with bright and cheerful outlooks that encourage the church and encourages us even today. E plus R equals O. We need to say goodbye to yesterday. I want to just tell you, thank God for time. Yesterday ended at 12 o'clock last night. It ended. 
let it go, is Greek for yesterday ended. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about the past. The Lord gives us responses and he says in Isaiah 43 and verse 18, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I've never met anybody who's really been a success who constantly dwells on the past. Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. No one puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back. These people are not fit for the kingdom of God. You can't be aiming for the front, trying to do something constructive and constantly turning around. You have to look forward. You have to keep moving. I want to finish off with this thing, this this, this point now. In the book of Jeremiah, God is called a potter. And in Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 4, the vessel that he made of clay, the Lord told Jeremiah to go to a potter. And this is what he says in verse 4. The vessel that he made of clay was marred, was damaged in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to make. That's a fascinating verse. Because God is regarded as a potter. God is regarded as many different titles in the Bible. Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord of the Armies, Heaven. There's just many titles. But here, it's a potter. But what is the, the, the little phrase that stands out here. What is, what is the phrase here? He made it again. <clears throat> Any of you failed? Any of you really struggling with that failure? I want to say to you this morning, he can make you again. can make you again. The clay was marred. It was damaged. All that needs to take place here is for the clay to submit to the potter's hand. The clay doesn't decide on what design it's going to have. The potter does. All that the clay needs to do is just Submit to yield to the potter's hand. But it was marred. Maybe there was a chunk of clay that was not really giving way. I would imagine that the potter took a little bit of water. One of the ways of the anointing of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to come and minister. To make that clay supple once again. If you are struggling with failure, despair, 
anything like that, I want to say to you this morning, God is not finished with you. I had a conversation years ago with somebody. She came to me and said, I've been a member of this church for a while. I, and I, I said to her, I would love for you to teach Sunday school. She says, you know, I did something in my past <coughs> that I'm not proud of, and I don't think that I qualify for that. I said, listen, you've given your life to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17 says, He remembers your sin no more. He's forgiven you. See, the problem that we have is that we forget what God wants us to remember and we remember what God has forgotten. He remembers your sin no more. I, I told her, you know, all those years that, that you've regretted this thing that you've done, and I don't even want to know about it, all of those years have kept you away from being a, a wonderful influence to children, which I think you have. Don't allow your failures and your mistakes to hinder you moving into the future. Now, God is not going to allow us to sin. He, I'm, I'm not minimizing sin here. He will chastise you and he will sort you out because he's a God of holiness. But he's forgiven you. He's forgotten all of us. Paul. Terrible things. Saw to the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. But he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 and 14, 12 to 14, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength and he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord has, was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I did wrong things, but grace came upon me. Hmm. He didn't shackle himself to the past, but he relied on the grace of God. Peter. Right at the end of Mark's gospel, in chapter 16 and verse 7, after the resurrection has taken place, the Lord sends a message. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Look at that. Those two words, and Peter. Peter was the one who denied him. But the Lord wants to say to Peter, Guy, I see you. I remember you. I love you. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Those two words are phenomenal. And Peter. That's how much the Lord wants to remind Peter. And 56 days later, Peter got the job of preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were converted that day. It was the birth day of the Christian church, and Peter got the job to preach the message. But we see the incredible grace of God. You see, God wants you back in the game. You can't hit a home run if you don't stay in the game. You can't score a try if you don't move towards the try line. You can't win a race unless you cross the finishing line. 
Psalm 34 and verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles. Do you have troubles? Do you have failures? Do you have misfortune? But the Lord delivers him from them all. That's the most incredible thing. Let's pray together.